chapter eight of abraham lincoln a history volume six this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org abraham lincoln a history volume six by john hay and john george nicolay chapter eight emancipation announced when on the twenty second of july after full cabinet discussion president lincoln decided to postpone the proclamation of emancipation which he had first prepared in order to wait for a victory all indications afforded a reasonable hope that the delay would not be a long one the union of the armies of mcclellan and pope had been ordered and once combined they would outnumber any force they were likely to meet halleck had been called to washington to exercise chief command and secure unity of orders and movements the new call for volunteers was expected to bring quick reinforcements we have seen through what deplorable shortcomings of mcclellan and some of his officers this reasonable hope was frustrated and how instead of the expected victory an unnecessary and most disheartening defeat augmented president lincoln's difficulties and responsibilities how the combined armies were forced back upon washington under such circumstances that the president felt compelled to entrust their reorganization to the very man whose weakness and jealousy had been the main cause of the disaster the damaging effect of these reverses extended beyond mere military results they gave a new and serious character to the political conditions and complications which were an inseparable part of the president's great task they sharpened anew the underlying prejudice and distrust between the two factions of his supporters radicals and conservatives as they began to be called or more properly speaking those who were anxious to destroy and those who were willing to preserve slavery each faction loudly charged the other with being the cause of failure and clamoured vehemently for a change of policy to conform to their own views outside of both was the important faction of those democrats who either yielded the war only a sullen support or opposed it as openly as they safely might and who on the slavery issue directed their denunciations wholly against the radicals it may be truly said that at no time were political questions so critical and embarrassing to mr lincoln as during this period his own decision had been reached his own course was clearly and unalterably marked out but the circumstances surrounding him did not permit his making it known and he was compelled to keep up an appearance of indecision which only brought upon him a greater flood of importunities during no part of his administration were his acts and words so persistently misconstrued as in this interim by men who gave his words the colour and meaning of their own eager desires and expectations to interpret properly mr lincoln's language it must be constantly borne in mind that its single object was to curb and restrain the impatience of zealots from either faction if we group together his several letters and addresses of this period we may see that his admonitions and rebukes were given to both with equal earnestness and impartiality 
occasions were not wanting for all request and advice which came to him were warped to one side or the other by the calumniating contest in which he alone could give the final and deciding word on the twenty sixth of july eighteen sixty two he wrote the following letter to reverdy johnson then at new orleans on public business who had made communications touching affairs in the department of the gulf yours of the sixteenth by the hand of governor shepley is received it seems the union feeling in louisiana is being crushed out by the course of general phelps please pardon me for believing that is a false pretense the people of louisiana all intelligent people everywhere know full well that i never had a wish to touch the foundations of their society or any right of theirs with perfect knowledge of this they forced a necessity upon me to send armies among them and it is their own fault not mine that they are annoyed by the presence of general phelps they also know the remedy know how to be cured of general phelps remove the necessity of his presence and might it not be well for them to consider whether they have not already had time enough to do this if they can conceive of anything worse than general phelps within my power would they not better be looking out for it they very well know the way to avert all this is simply to take their place in the union upon the old terms if they will not do this should they not receive harder blows rather than lighter ones you are ready to say i apply to friends what is due only to enemies i distrust the wisdom if not the sincerity of friends who would hold my hands while my enemies stab me this appeal of professed friends has paralyzed me more in this struggle than any other one thing you remember telling me the day after the baltimore mob in april eighteen sixty one that it would crush all union feeling in maryland for me to attempt bringing troops over maryland soil to washington i brought the troops notwithstanding and yet there was union feeling enough left to elect a legislature the next autumn which in turn elected a very excellent union united states senator i am a patient man always willing to forgive on the christian terms of repentance and also to give ample time for repentance still i must save this government if possible what i cannot do of course i will not do but it may as well be understood once for all that i shall not surrender this game leaving any available card unplayed two days later to a citizen of louisiana he sent another letter full of phrases quite as positive and significant he wrote mr durant complains that in various ways the relation of master and slave is disturbed by the presence of our army and he considers it particularly vexatious that this in part is done under cover of an act of congress while constitutional guarantees are suspended on the plea of military necessity the truth is that what is done and omitted about slaves is done and omitted on the same military necessity it is a military necessity to have men and money and we can get neither in sufficient numbers or amounts if we keep from or drive from our lines slaves coming to them he speaks of no duty apparently thinks of none resting upon union men he even thinks it injurious to the union cause that they should be restrained in trade and passage without taking sides they are to touch neither a sail nor a pump but to be merely passengers 
dead heads at that to be carried snug and dry throughout the storm and safely landed right side up nay more even a mutineer is to go untouched lest these sacred passengers receive an accidental wound of course the rebellion will never be suppressed in louisiana if the professed union men there will neither help to do it nor permit the government to do it without their help now i think the true remedy is very different from what is suggested by mr durant it does not lie in rounding the rough angles of the war but in removing the necessity for the war if they will not do this if they prefer to hazard all for the sake of destroying the government it is for them to consider whether it is probable i will surrender the government to save them from losing all if they decline what i suggest you scarcely need to ask what i will do what would you do in my position would you drop the war where it is or would you prosecute it in future with elder stalk squirts charged with rose-water would you deal lighter blows rather than heavier ones would you give up the contest leaving any available means unapplied i am in no boastful mood i shall not do more than i can and i shall do all i can to save the government which is my sworn duty as well as my personal inclination i shall do nothing in malice what i deal with is too vast for malicious dealing in these two letters the president's reproof was addressed to conservatives to correct ill-timed complaints that the interests of slaveholders were allowed to suffer in the rude necessities of military operations and administration but complaints equally unreasonable were assailing him from the other side mr greeley of the new york tribune was criticizing the president for exactly the alleged fault of not doing more of that which had brought these complaints from louisiana in his paper of august twenty he addressed a long open letter to mr lincoln accusing him of failure to execute the confiscation act of mistaken deference to rebel slavery and alleging that he was unduly influenced by the counsels the representations the menaces of certain fossil politicians hailing from the border slave states we complain he continued that a large proportion of our regular army officers with many of the volunteers evince far more solicitude to uphold slavery than to put down the rebellion these phrases are samples of two columns or more of equally unjust censure mr lincoln always sought and generally with success to turn a dilemma into an advantage and shrewdly seizing the opportunity which mr greeley had created he in turn addressed him the following open letter through the newspapers in reply by which he not merely warded off his present personal accusation but skilfully laid the foundation in public sentiment for the very radical step he was about to take on the slavery question executive mansion washington august twenty two eighteen sixty two honorable horace greeley dear sir i have just read yours of the nineteenth addressed to myself through the new york tribune if there be in it any statements or assumptions of fact which i may know to be erroneous i do not now and here controvert them if there be in it any inferences which i may believe to be falsely drawn i do not now and here argue against them if there be perceptible in it an impatient and dictatorial tone i waive it in deference to an old friend 
whose heart i have always supposed to be right as to the policy i seem to be pursuing as you say i have not meant to leave any one in doubt i would save the union i would save it the shortest way under the constitution the sooner the national authority can be restored the nearer the union will be the union as it was if there be those who would not save the union unless they could at the same time save slavery i do not agree with them if there be those who would not save the union unless they could at the same time destroy slavery i do not agree with them my paramount object in this struggle is to save the union and is not either to save or to destroy slavery if i could save the union without freeing any slave i would do it and if i could save it by freeing all the slaves i would do it and if i could save it by freeing some and leaving others alone i would also do that what i do about slavery and the colored race i do because i believe it helps to save the union and what i forbear i forbear because i do not believe it would help to save the union i should do less whenever i shall believe what i am doing hurts the cause and i shall do more whenever i shall believe doing more will help the cause i shall try to correct errors when shown to be errors and i shall adopt new views so fast as they shall appear to be true views i have here stated my purpose according to my view of official duty and i intend no modification of my oft-expressed personal wish that all men everywhere could be free yours a lincoln when mr lincoln wrote the foregoing letter the defeat of general pope at the second battle of bull run had not yet taken place on the contrary every probability pointed to an easy victory for the union troops in the battle which was plainly seen to be impending we may therefore infer that he hoped soon to be able to supplement the above declarations by issuing his postponed proclamation which would give the country knowledge of his final designs respecting the slavery question but instead of the expected victory came a sad and demoralizing defeat which prolonged instead of shortening the anxiety and uncertainty hanging over the intentions of the administration under this enforced necessity for further postponement of his fixed purpose in addition to his many other perplexities the president grew sensitive and even irritable upon this point he was by nature so frank and direct he was so conscientious in all his official responsibilities that he made the complaints and implied reproaches of even his humblest petitioner his own the severe impartiality of his self-judgment sometimes became almost a feeling of self-accusation from which he found relief only by a most searching analysis of his own motives in self-justification in the period under review this state of feeling was several times manifested individuals and delegations came to him to urge one side or the other of a decision which though already made in his own mind forced upon him a re-examination of its justness and its possibilities for good or evil imperceptibly these mental processes became a species of self-torment and well-meaning inquirers or advisers affected his overstrung nerves like so many persecuting inquisitors a phlegmatic nature would have turned them away in sullen silence or at most with an evasive commonplace but lincoln felt himself under compulsion which he could not resist to state somewhat precisely the difficulties and perplexities under which he was acting or rather apparently refusing to act 
and in such statements his public argument upon hypothesis assumed for illustration was liable to outrun his private conclusion upon facts which had controlled his judgment it is in the light of this mental condition that we must judge the well-known reply made by him on the thirteenth of september to a deputation from the religious denominations of chicago requesting him to issue at once a proclamation of universal emancipation he said the subject presented in the memorial is one upon which i have thought much for weeks past and i may even say for months i am approached with the most opposite opinions and advice and that by religious men who are equally certain that they represent the divine will i am sure that either the one or the other class is mistaken in that belief and perhaps in some respects both i hope it will not be irreverent for me to say that if it is probable that god would reveal his will to others on a point so connected with my duty it might be supposed he would reveal it directly to me for unless i am more deceived in myself than i often am it is my earnest desire to know the will of providence in this matter and if i can learn what it is i will do it these are not however the days of miracles and i suppose it will be granted that i am not to expect a direct revelation i must study the plain physical facts of the case ascertain what is possible and learn what appears to be wise and right what good would a proclamation of emancipation from me do especially as we are now situated i do not want to issue a document that the whole world will see must necessarily be inoperative like the pope's bull against the comet would my word free the slaves when i cannot even enforce the constitution in the rebel states is there a single court or magistrate or individual that would be influenced by it there and what reason is there to think it would have any greater effect upon the slaves than the late law of congress which i approved and which offers protection and freedom to the slaves of rebel masters who come within our lines yet i cannot learn that that law has caused a single slave to come over to us now then tell me if you please what possible result of good would follow the issuing of such a proclamation as you desire understand i raise no objections against it on legal or constitutional grounds for as commander-in-chief of the army and navy in time of war i suppose i have a right to take any measure which may best subdue the enemy nor do i urge objections of a moral nature in view of possible consequences of insurrection and massacre at the south i view this matter as a practical war measure to be decided on according to the advantages or disadvantages it may offer to the suppression of the rebellion do not misunderstand me because i have mentioned these objections they indicate the difficulties that have thus far prevented my action in some such way as you desire i have not decided against a proclamation of liberty to the slaves but hold the matter under advisement and i can assure you that the subject is on my mind by day and night more than any other whatever shall appear to be god's will i will do i trust that in the freedom with which i have canvassed your views i have not in any respect injured your feelings this interview of the chicago delegation with the president lasted more than an hour during which a long memorial was read interspersed with much discursive conversation and interchange of questions and replies the report of his remarks which was written out and published by the delegation after their return home is not a verbatim reproduction but merely a condensed abstract of what was said on the occasion 
much adverse criticism has been indulged in because of his assumed declaration that an emancipation proclamation would be as inoperative as the pope's bull against the comet and that he nevertheless issued so preposterous a document within two weeks after the interview the error lies in the assumption that his words were literally reported to measure rightly his utterance as a whole the conditions under which the interview occurred must continually be kept in mind the administration and the country were still in the shadow of the great disasters of the peninsula and of the second bull run with corresponding elation the rebels had taken the aggressive and crossed the potomac to invade maryland a new campaign was opening and a new battle-cloud was gathering whether victory or fresh defeat was unfolded in its gloom was a question of uncertainty and of fearful anxiety to the president straining his thought and imagination to an abnormal and almost unendurable tension it was at such a moment that the chicago delegation had appeared with a repetition of a request which seemed to him inopportune habitually open and patient to every appeal he was nevertheless becoming restive under the unremitting and unreasoning pressure regarding this single point could no one exercise patience but himself could anti-slavery people not realize and rest content with the undreamed-of progress their cause had already made slavery abolished in the district of columbia the territories restored to freedom almost wholesale emancipation provided through the confiscation act had he not aided these measures signed these laws ordered their enforcement and was he not day and night laboring to secure compensated emancipation in the border states had he not the very proclamation they sought lying written in his desk waiting only the favourable moment when he might announce it why must they push him to the wall and compel him to an avowal which might blight the ripening public sentiment and imperil the desired consummation we may infer that with some such feelings he listened to the dogmatic memorial of the delegation for his whole answer is in the nature of a friendly protest and polite rebuke against their impolitic urgency and the impressive rhetorical figure he employs was not intended to foreshadow his decision but to illustrate the absurdity of attempting to pluck the fruit before it was ripe the great pith and point of the interview is his strong and unqualified declaration that he held the subject under advisement and that he regarded his military authority as clear and ample he said understand i raise no objections against it on legal or constitutional grounds for as commander-in-chief of the army and navy in time of war i suppose i have a right to take any measure which may best subdue the enemy three days after this interview the battle of antietam was begun which resulted in a victory for the union forces the events of war had abruptly changed political conditions and the president seized the earliest possible opportunity to announce the policy which he had decided upon exactly two months before his manner and language on this momentous occasion have been minutely recorded in the diaries of two members of the cabinet and liberal quotations from both will form the most valuable historical presentation of the event that can be made the diary of secretary chase reads as follows monday september twenty two eighteen sixty two to department about nine state department messenger came with notice to heads of departments to meet at twelve received sundry callers 
went to the white house all the members of the cabinet were in attendance there was some general talk and the president mentioned that artemus ward had sent him his book proposed to read a chapter which he thought very funny read it and seemed to enjoy it very much the heads also except stanton of course the chapter was high-handed outrage at utica the president then took a graver tone and said gentlemen i have as you are aware thought a great deal about the relation of this war to slavery and you all remember that several weeks ago i read to you an order i had prepared on this subject which on account of objections made by some of you was not issued ever since then my mind has been much occupied with this subject and i have thought all along that the time for acting on it might probably come i think the time has come now i wish it was a better time i wish that we were in a better condition the action of the army against the rebels has not been quite what i should have best liked but they have been driven out of maryland and pennsylvania is no longer in danger of invasion when the rebel army was at frederick i determined as soon as it should be driven out of maryland to issue a proclamation of emancipation such as i thought most likely to be useful i said nothing to any one but i made the promise to myself and hesitating a little to my maker the rebel army is now driven out and i am going to fulfil that promise i have got you together to hear what i have written down i do not wish your advice about the main matter for that i have determined for myself this i say without intending anything but respect for any one of you but i already know the views of each on this question they have been heretofore expressed and i have considered them as thoroughly and carefully as i can what i have written is that which my reflections have determined me to say if there is anything in the expressions i use or in any minor matter which any one of you thinks had best be changed i shall be glad to receive the suggestions one other observation i will make i know very well that many others might in this matter as in others do better than i can and if i was satisfied that the public confidence was more fully possessed by any one of them than by me and knew of any constitutional way in which he could be put in my place he should have it i would gladly yield it to him but though i believe that i have not so much of the confidence of the people as i had some time since i do not know that all things considered any other person has more and however this may be there is no way in which i can have any other man put where i am i am here i must do the best i can and bear the responsibility of taking the course which i feel i ought to take the foregoing account written by mr chase is fully corroborated by the following extract from the diary of secretary wells in which the same event is described september twenty two a special cabinet meeting the subject was the proclamation for emancipating the slaves after a certain date in states that shall then be in rebellion for several weeks the subject has been suspended but the president says never lost sight of when it was submitted and now in taking up the proclamation the president stated that the question was finally decided the act and the consequences were his but that he felt it due to us to make us acquainted with the fact and to invite criticisms on the paper which he had prepared there were he had found not unexpectedly some differences in the cabinet but he had after ascertaining in his own way the views of each and all individually and collectively formed his own conclusions and made his own decisions in the course of the discussion on this paper which was long earnest and on the general principle involved harmonious he remarked that he had made a vow a covenant 
that if god gave us the victory in the approaching battle he would consider it an indication of divine will and that it was duty to move forward in the cause of emancipation it might be thought strange he said that he had in this way submitted the disposal of matters when the way was not clear to his mind what he should do god had decided this question in favor of the slaves he was satisfied it was right was confirmed and strengthened in his action by the vow and the results his mind was fixed his decision made but he wished his paper announcing his course as correct in terms as it could be made without any change in his determination in addition to its record of the president's language the diary of secretary chase proceeds with the following account of what was said by several members of the cabinet the president then proceeded to read his emancipation proclamation making remarks on the several parts as he went on and showing that he had fully considered the whole subject in all the lights under which it had been presented to him after he had closed governor seward said the general question having been decided nothing can be said farther about that would it not however make the proclamation more clear and decided to leave out all reference to the act being sustained during the incumbency of the present president and not merely say that the government recognizes but that it will maintain the freedom it proclaims i followed saying what you have said mr president fully satisfies me that you have given to every proposition which has been made a, a kind and candid consideration and you have now expressed the conclusion to which you have arrived clearly and distinctly this it was your right and under your oath of office your duty to do the proclamation does not indeed mark out exactly the course i would myself prefer but i am ready to take it just as it is written and to stand by it with all my heart i think however the suggestions of governor seward very judicious and shall be glad to have them adopted the president then asked us severally our opinions as to the modification proposed saying that he did not care much about the phrases he had used every one favored the modification and it was adopted governor seward then proposed that in the passage relating to colonization some language should be introduced to show that the colonization proposed was to be only with the consent of the colonists and the consent of the states in which colonies might be attempted this too was agreed to and no other modification was proposed mr blair then said that the question having been decided he would make no objection to issuing the proclamation but he would ask to have his paper presented some days since against the policy filed with the proclamation the president consented to this readily and then mr blair went on to say that he was afraid of the influence of the proclamation on the border states and on the army and stated at some length the grounds of his apprehensions he disclaimed most expressly however all objection to emancipation per se saying he had always been personally in favor of it always ready for immediate emancipation in the midst of slave states rather than submit to the perpetuation of the system the statement of mr wells which relates the cabinet proceedings is as follows all listened with profound attention to the reading and it was i believe assented to by every member mr bates repeated the opinions he had previously expressed in regard to the deportation of the colored race mr seward proposed two slight verbal alterations which were adopted a general discussion then took place covering the whole ground the constitutional question the war power the expediency and the effect of the movement 
after the matter had been very fully debated mr stanton made a very emphatic speech sustaining the measure and in closing said the act was so important and involved consequences so vast that he hoped each member would give distinctly and unequivocally his own individual opinion whatever that opinion might be two gentlemen he thought had not been sufficiently explicit although they had discussed the question freely and it was understood that they concurred in the measure he referred he said to the secretary of the treasury and hesitating a moment the secretary of the navy it was understood i believe by all present that he had allusion to another member with whom he was not in full accord mr chase admitted that the subject had come upon him unexpectedly and with some surprise it was going a step further than he had ever proposed but he was prepared to accept and support it he was glad the president had made this advance which he should sustain from his heart and he proceeded to make an able impromptu argument in its favor i stated that the president did not misunderstand my position nor any other member that i assented most unequivocally to the measure as a war necessity and had acted upon it mr blair took occasion to say that he was an emancipationist from principle that he had for years here and in missouri where he formerly resided openly advocated it but he had doubts of the expediency of this executive action at this particular juncture we ought not he thought to put in jeopardy the patriotic element in the border states already severely tried this proclamation would as soon as it reached them be likely to carry over those states to the secessionists there were also party men in the free states who were striving to revive old party lines and distinctions into whose hand we were putting a club to be used against us the measure he approved but the time was inopportune he should wish therefore to file his objections this the president said mr blair could do he had however considered the danger to be apprehended from the first objection mentioned which was undoubtedly serious but the difficulty was as great not to act as to act there were two sides to that question for months he had laboured to get those states to move in this matter convinced in his own mind that it was their true interest to do so but his labours were vain we must make the forward movement they would acquiesce if not immediately soon for they must be satisfied that slavery had received its death-blow from slave-owners it could not survive the rebellion as regarded the other objection it had not much weight with him their clubs would be used against us take what course we might the cabinet discussion of the proclamation being completed mr seward carried the document with him to the state department where the formal phraseology of attestation and the great seal were added the president signed it the same afternoon and it was published in full by the leading newspapers of the country on the morning of september twenty three as elsewhere the reading of the official announcement created a profound interest in washington and a serenade was organized the next evening which came to the executive mansion and called on the president for a speech his reference to the great event was very brief he said i appear before you to do little more than acknowledge the courtesy you pay me and to thank you for it i have not been distinctly informed why it is that on this occasion you appear to do me this honor though i suppose it is because of the proclamation 
what i did i did after a very full deliberation and under a very heavy and solemn sense of responsibility i can only trust in god i have made no mistake i shall make no attempt on this occasion to sustain what i have done or said by any comment it is now for the country and the world to pass judgment and may be take action upon it two days after the proclamation was issued a number of the governors of loyal states met for conference at altoona pennsylvania and it was charged at the time that this occurrence had some occult relation to the president's action there was no truth whatever in the allegation it was directly contradicted by the president himself he said to the hon george s boutwell who mentioned the rumor to him a few weeks after the occurrence i never thought of the meeting of the governors the truth is just this when lee came over the river i made a resolution that if mcclellan drove him back i would send the proclamation after him the battle of antietam was fought wednesday and until saturday i could not find out whether we had gained a victory or lost a battle it was then too late to issue the proclamation that day and the fact is i fixed it up a little sunday and monday i let them have it the collateral evidence is also conclusive on this point the altoona meeting originated with governor curtin of pennsylvania who warned that lee's army was about to cross the potomac was with all diligence preparing his state to resist the expected invasion on the sixth of september he telegraphed to the governor of massachusetts and others in the present emergency would it not be well that the loyal governor should meet at some point in the border states to take measures for the more active support of the government receiving favorable replies the governors of pennsylvania ohio and west virginia united in a joint invitation under date of september fourteenth for such a meeting to be held at altoona on the twenty fourth the object was simply to consult on the best means of common defense and the vigorous prosecution of the war there was no design to organize any pressure upon the president either about the question of slavery or about the removal of mcclellan from command and the president neither anticipated nor feared such interference several members of the body differing in political sentiment indignantly denied the accusation of a political plot which indeed would have been impossible in a gathering of men of such strong individual traits holding diverse views and clothed with greatly varying interests and responsibilities the proclamation of emancipation was as great a surprise to them as to the general public gratifying some and displeasing others it was not strange that it should immediately engage their eager interest and call out some sort of joint response the proclamation had been printed on the twenty third the altoona gathering was called on the fourteenth and held on the twenty fourth between the date of the call and the day of the meeting the military situation was altogether changed the battle of antietam had driven lee's army in retreat back across the potomac instead of emergency measures for defence the assembled governors could now quietly discuss points of general and mutual interest relating to the recruiting organization equipment and transportation of troops the granting of furloughs and the care and removal of the sick and wounded their conference passed in entire harmony and a day or two later they nearly all proceeded to washington for an interview with the president and the secretary of war they presented a written address to the president signed then and within a few days afterwards by the governors of sixteen of the free states and the governor of west virginia reiterating devotion to the union 
loyalty to the constitution and laws and earnest support to the president in suppressing rebellion and embracing only the single specific recommendation that a reserve army of one hundred thousand men ought constantly to be kept on foot to be raised armed equipped and trained at home ready for emergencies the written address also contained a hearty endorsement of the new emancipation policy announced in the president's proclamation this declaration as was to have been expected developed the only antagonism of views which grew out of the whole transaction the address was written at washington and therefore was not discussed at altoona properly speaking it was the supplementary action of only a portion of the assembled delegates it was however transmitted for signature to all the loyal executives but the governors of the states of new jersey delaware maryland kentucky and missouri replied that while concurring in the other declarations of the address they declined signing it because they dissented from that portion of it which endorsed the proclamation of emancipation coming as it did immediately after the announcement of his new policy president lincoln could not but be gratified at the public declaration emanating from the altoona meeting on his military policy it assured him of the continuation of a unanimous official support on his emancipation policy it gave him a public approval from the official power of seventeen states as against the dissent of only five states of the border where indeed he had no reason to expect for the present at least any more favorable official sentiment nevertheless it did not free the experiment from uncertainty and danger it was precisely this balance of power political and military wielded by these hesitating border states which was essential to the success of the union cause but he had measured the probability with an acuteness of judgment and timed his proceeding with a prudence of action that merited success and in due time triumphantly justified his faith every thoughtful reader will have more than a passing curiosity to examine the exact phraseology of a document which ushered in the great political regeneration of the american people it reads as follows i abraham lincoln president of the united states of america and commander-in-chief of the army and navy thereof do hereby proclaim and declare that hereafter as heretofore the war will be prosecuted for the object of practically restoring the constitutional relations between the united states and each of the states and the people thereof in which states that relation is or may be suspended or disturbed that it is my purpose upon the next meeting of congress to again recommend the adoption of a practical measure tendering pecuniary aid to the free acceptance or rejection of all the slave states so called the people whereof may not then be in rebellion against the united states and which states may then have voluntarily adopted or thereafter may voluntarily adopt the immediate or gradual abolishment of slavery within their respective limits and that the effort to colonize persons of african descent with their consent upon this continent or elsewhere with the previously obtained consent of the governments existing there will be continued that on the first day of january in the year of our lord one thousand eight hundred and sixty three all persons held as slaves within any state or designated part of a state the people whereof shall then be in rebellion against the united states shall be then thenceforward and forever free 
and the executive government of the united states including the military and naval authorities thereof will recognize and maintain the freedom of such persons and will do no act or acts to repress such persons or any of them in any efforts they may make for their actual freedom that the executive will on the first day of january aforesaid by proclamation designate the states or parts of states if any in which the people thereof respectively shall then be in rebellion against the united states and the fact that any state or the people thereof shall on that day be in good faith represented in the congress of the united states by members chosen thereto at elections wherein a majority of the qualified voters of such states shall have participated shall in the absence of strong countervailing testimony be deemed conclusive evidence that such state and the people thereof are not then in rebellion against the united states then after reciting the language of an act to make an additional article of war approved march thirteenth eighteen sixty two and also sections nine and ten of the confiscation act approved july seventeenth eighteen sixty two and enjoining their enforcement upon all persons in the military and naval service the proclamation concludes and i do hereby enjoin upon and order all persons engaged in the military and naval service of the united states to observe obey and enforce within their respective spheres of service the acts and sections above recited and the executive will in due time recommend that all citizens of the united states who shall have remained loyal thereto throughout the rebellion shall upon the restoration of the constitutional relations between the united states and the people if that relation shall have been suspended or disturbed be compensated for all losses by acts of the united states including the loss of slaves a careful reading and analysis of the document shows it to have contained four leading propositions one a renewal of the plan of compensated abolishment two a continuance of the effort at voluntary colonization three the announcement of peremptory military emancipation of all slaves and states in rebellion at the expiration of the warning notice four a promise to recommend ultimate compensation to loyal owners the political test of the experiment of military emancipation thus announced by the president came almost immediately in the autumn elections for state officers and state legislatures and especially for representatives to the thirty-eighth congress the decided failure of mcclellan's richmond campaign and the inaction of the western army had already produced much popular discontent which was only partly relieved by the victory of antietam the canvass had been inaugurated by the democratic party with violent protests against the anti-slavery legislation of congress and it now added the loud outcry that the administration had changed the war for the union to a war for abolition the party conflict became active and bitter and the democrats having all the advantage of an aggressive issue made great popular gains not only throughout the middle belts of states but in new york where they elected their governor thus gaining control of the executive machinery which greatly embarrassed the administration in its later measures to maintain the army the number of democrats in the house of representatives was increased from forty four to seventy five and the reaction threatened for a time to deprive mr lincoln of the support of the house but against this temporary adverse political current the leaders of the bulk of the republican party followed mr lincoln with loyal adhesion accepting and defending his emancipation policy with earnestness and enthusiasm 
in his annual message of december one eighteen sixty two the president did not discuss his emancipation proclamation but renewed and made an elaborate argument to recommend his plan of compensated abolishment not an exclusion of but additional to all others for restoring and preserving the national authority throughout the union meanwhile the democratic minority in the house joined by the pro-slavery conservatives from the border slave states lost no opportunity to oppose emancipation in every form on the eleventh of december representative george h yeaman of kentucky offered resolutions declaring the president's proclamation unwarranted by the constitution and a useless and dangerous war measure but these propositions were only supported by a vote of forty-five while they were promptly laid on the table by a vote of ninety-four members the republicans were unwilling to remain in this attitude of giving emancipation a merely negative support a few days later december fifteenth representative s c fessenden of maine put the identical phraseology in an affirmative form and by a test vote of seventy-eight to fifty-one the house resolved that the proclamation of the president of the united states of the date of twenty second september eighteen sixty two is warranted by the constitution and that the policy of emancipation as indicated in that proclamation is well adapted to hasten the restoration of peace was well chosen as a war measure and is an exercise of power with proper regard for the rights of the states and the perpetuity of free government with the proclamation thus heartily endorsed by nearly every free state governor and nearly two-thirds of the loyal representatives mr lincoln who had accurately foreseen the danger as well as the benefits of the critical step he had taken could well afford to wait for the full tide of approval for which he looked with confidence and which came to him from that time onward with steadiness and ever-growing volume both from the armies in the field and the people in their homes throughout the loyal north End of chapter eight